The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. <laughs> Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to Three Yards Per Carry. It seems like it's been a minute. We've been gone for almost two weeks, and we do have Simon Clancy here. We do not have Chris Coffin because he's evidently driving all over the fruited plain. But Simon had a very interesting weekend, actually week. But just tell us how how you enjoyed the weekend, Simon. Well, it was pretty, you know, it was as you'd imagine it to be. It was pretty magnificent. Uh, the best team on the planet all became European champions again. And, uh, yeah. That's six now. That's six now. Sunny Madrid was uh, full of Liverpool fans. And, uh, yeah. A sixth European Cup came home to Anfield. Did you go to any celebrations in town? Or uh, yeah, I mean it, it was unavoidable. It was just you know thousands and thousands of Liverpool fans. So we just had a few, few sangrias, nice meal. Um, probably ended up in bed about two thirty, three o'clock. But yeah, it was uh, it was pretty glorious. Um, yeah, not much more else. Not much else more to say. Yeah, um, now out of best the- team in Europe. Out of the three of us, uh, you and me, you and me have experienced some championships. Now, Chris Kaufman hasn't. Uh, no. I'm trying to think back to any championship that Chris Kaufman, maybe a math championship in college or something like that. Spelling bee. A spelling bee, maybe. But uh, you've experienced six of these. I remember. Uh, the not, f- yeah, not uh, so. Not. I don't remember six of them because you've, you've couple, experienced three. I would say I've experienced. I've experienced three. Yes, three. Yes, and I remember. I have vague memories of the of the original of the early ones in the seventies, but not. Um, I, I have proper memories of eighty four, two thousand five, and obviously this weekend. Yeah, because I remember in 1986 when when the Heat, I mean, in 
2006, when the Heat win their first championship, that felt great. But these last two championships that they won with the big three, it was more of a feeling of relief. Like, okay, they, they were supposed to win. How did you feel about this this latest? It was more just getting over the line because we were, the, you know, pretty much. I mean, uh, Liverpool are one of the two best teams in European football, um, yes. the other being Manchester City. Um, you know, uh, and the comeback against Barcelona in the semi-final just underlined that beat PSG. Um, Real Madrid were knocked out by Ajax. So, you know, uh, to to have finished on the third highest points total of all time in league history and not won anything, so we finished second in the league, a point behind Manchester City, to have lost the Champions League final would have been brutal to have not won a trophy. Jürgen Klopp, the manager's lost six finals in a row or had lost six finals in a row to this point. So it was, this team is too good not to get across the line. So I think it was a mental thing as much as anything just to... And now that they've done that, I think the floodgates hopefully will open. But yeah, it's um it's a special, special group of players. And probably the most fun I've had as a fan of any sport ever, I think, this past year. This team is so good. So good. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't it true that Liverpool is more of a, a budget set team and Manchester City just spends and spends and spends until until, until they win? Yeah, I mean, I mean, let's be honest. Liverpool's spending is, you know, they've, they, they've bought significantly expensive players, yes. um, but not in the um, not in the realms of Manchester City. I mean, Liverpool were on the brink of uh, back in twenty eleven. Were on the brink of essentially extinction, financial extinction, certainly, um, and um, were bought by. Um, people that you probably know well, uh, John Henry, the owner of the Boston Globe, yes. and Tom Warner and John Henry's wife, Inda Pazuti. Uh, and frankly, they have been quite remarkable in terms of uh, ownership. They've turned this club around. They've invested wisely. They've trusted in a, a, a guy who's, a, I suppose, what would be the equivalent of a general manager in the US, you know, a guy called Mike Edwards. Um, and they are... Um, you know, they are the model owners in this country. They've rebuilt a part of the stadium um, and have just been, you know, just been wonderful. I mean, Manchester City have spent more than a, a billion pounds in transfer fees over the past few years, whereas Liverpool have, have spent significantly less than that. I mean, they, play, they, they, they paid, they sold arguably their best player last year to Barcelona for 140 million pounds and replaced him with two players, Virgil van Dijk, who was voted player of the year, um, or MVP, as you would say, um, mm. and a goalkeeper called Alison Becker from Brazilian, from Roma. Uh, and they've both been just incredible. Um, so yeah, uh, they, their net spend is, is minimal compared to Manchester City, but they do spend money on players. But yeah, they just have a brilliant manager and it's a great team. You know, it's a great yes. team. No, I'm fun to watch. And fun to watch. Yeah, really I, fun to watch. Although I will say this, that, like I watched them throughout the tournament and yeah, they're a fun team to watch. Although this last game was not entertaining. Yeah, the final was, no, not at all. But, the, you know, it's more about just getting across the line. I think. And look, in years to come, people won't say it was a terrible final. They'll just remember the fact that Liverpool won and that's, you know. Yeah. There was yeah. about a, an exciting 10 minutes until yeah, absolutely. the final goal. It was, to be fair, it was ridiculously humid in that stadium. It was so hot. Mm. And I was just sat there and yeah, everybody around was just sweating, just sitting there. And I was high up in the, you know, and so out on the field, it must have been. I would say it was probably about 85 degrees, even at nine o'clock at night kickoff. 
and the humidity must have been, I mean, it was thick, the air was really thick. So, you know, and for a team, especially like Liverpool, who play very much what, what is known as a high press, which means as soon as mm-hmm. the, the opposition, get, opposition get the ball, they shut them down really quickly. So the levels of fitness have to be ridiculous. You know, Liverpool tend to run through a game more than any other team in the league. Um, because they are playing this high press of just consistent shut, 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 shut down, uh, which forces teams into mistakes and they can sort of fast break like a basketball team. Mm. Um, but the heat just meant that they weren't quite able to do, you know, to do that on a consistent basis. But it wasn't a great game, but I like, couldn't give a shit who won the trophy. So Yeah, it was just those <laughs> 10 minutes. Those 10 minutes were, were pretty nerve-wracking, I would say. Yeah, go on, it, was, went in. it was harem scarum at times in the last 10 or 12 minutes, but... They hung on. Yeah. But anyway, locally, we've had uh, an OTA, and today we had mandatory. This time it's called mandatory mini camp. And I was over there today, and Rashad Jones obviously got the scrum. Everybody was around him today. Everybody wanted to ask him about, you know, what was going on since nobody wants to call it a holdout, but – because it was voluntary, but he wasn't having much contact with the team. He mm. wasn't around while I'll, I will say pretty much everybody else was in contact with the team, including Kenny Stills. Mm. But he shows up today. First of all, he looks great. He looks like he's in great shape. He's a guy who takes care of his body. Oh, yeah, totally. But he comes out here today and he says, I don't know what the hell you guys are talking about. Like, you know, I've been in contact with the coach. That was van- mandatory. I was trying to get my body right for camp. I don't know what the hell anybody's talking about. Like, I'm here. I'm ready to play. I'm ready to start. He's uh, playing a good soldier. Yeah. Do you be- First of all, you don't believe him, do you? No, of course not. Okay. Of course not. He t- turned up with a T-shirt that said team on the front, work on the back. And, uh, but I don't believe You know, I, listen, I've got a lot of respect for Rashad Jones. I think he's been a terrific player. Fifth round draft pick out of Georgia. He's played stupendously at times. Um, but I don't think he'll be here at the start of the season. And I don't particularly think he wants to be here. And let's let's cut the bullshit. It it was a holdout essentially. It was a mm-hmm. you know, it was a look, this is this is my statement. I've got to be here at mandatory camp because I'm earning thirteen point one million this year and I want my money. Um, but I do not under any circumstances believe he will be on the team come opening day of the season and I suspect the Dolphins will trade him to a team and they will pro- potentially end up paying some of his wages to get him off the um to get him off the books but I think yeah, that's end essentially up taking... the problem right that's essentially yeah. the problem they owe him 13 million dollars 11 11 of it is guaranteed and I did a podcast earlier today with with Ethan Skolnick and I was telling him how this would work and the way this would work is that Chris Greer would essentially pull a trade, have the trade ready, and tell Stephen Ross, okay, now I need you to do your part, and your part is to write a check for $11 million mm. in the next five minutes to Rashad yeah. Jones. Not now, that's, that's, it's hard for a general manager to tell your mm. owner that. You know what I mean? So yeah, 100%. that's the hard part. Well, there's three things that go against Jones, really. One is age. One is contract and one is injury. And all three essentially go against him. Age now, I think, 31. Injury, he's been consistently injured, you know, on and off for the last two and a half seasons. Mm -hmm. Um, And thirdly, the contract that we just talked about. So none of which go in his favor, which means that, uh, you know, in terms of draft return, teams are not going to be offering up, you know, second or third round picks. I think you're probably looking at best at a fifth rounder and Miami 
essentially pays off some of his contract. I think a fifth rounder is about as much as you could hope for. And if it was less, you wouldn't be surprised. And people will complain about that. Uh, but you've just got to look at A, at the trade market, and B, at the three factors that I just said. Trade market, when you can get Antonio Brown for a third and a fifth, you are not going to get Rashad Jones for a fourth or a third. It's yeah. just, you know, that's just not the way that football is these days. You know, you look, you got Odell Beckham for a, what, a first and a third. You know, you're not going to be getting Rashad Jones for, you know. And he might be the premier wide receiver in football. Yeah. And, and the other one went for a third. So, exactly. So, exactly. yeah, exactly. Like, if you can get a fifth and somebody could take that contract off their if you get a, Yeah, you Great. get a fifth and you say, we'll pay half the contract, then you take it. Yes. Now, here's what I don't understand. Uh, if you're contending for a Super Bowl, I think Rashad Jones can help you get over that hump if you need help. Why isn't everybody in the league falling all over themselves to try I to make it's a, Miami? I, th- I think it's early, and I think it'll probably happen You know, early to mid-training camp, I suspect. Um, I, I, you know, I think he's a veteran player. He's an intelligent player who looks after his body. It's not going to take him long to acclimatize to a scheme. So I think, you know, I doubt New England, but you, you look at some of those teams like a Houston Texans or, a, you know, look around for players, look around for coaches that have worked with Belichick, that have worked with Flores. Bill O'Brien springs to mind immediately with, with, um, uh, I can't even think of his name, but the, the Texans defensive coordinator who used to be the, um, the Patriots DC, Romeo It's the, those kind of you know. There's a team immediately that you think, okay, they could use some veteran help on the back end to to play in uh, alongside that really nice looking rookie that they've got, Justin Reed. Um, yeah, I think um, it's those kind of those kind of. And I think you know, teams are just sound. You know, let's see how healthy he is because he's not healthy. He said himself, he's not 100. percent So I think teams are probably just treading a little carefully. Let's see where he is. Um, but I do not think that he will be a he will be a dolphin, and I think the dolphins don't think he'll be a dolphin. I think they are looking at, you know, there's not a lot that we can say, but I think he's looking at uh, different ways to set up the secondary. Is probably the best and most honest way that we can describe what's happening in camp, because we know there are restrictions on what we're allowed to say. But um, yeah, I, I just don't see. Let's just say they're using them. They're using the safeties and the defensive backs in really interesting ways. And if you watch the New England Patriots, you know what we're talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we've we've said it. Yeah, we've said it all along. Six, seven defensive backs will become the norm, and I think that's probably what you will see. Absolutely, and and in every possession. And I'm talking about all along the defensive line and the secondary, uh, as a linebacker, everywhere. Now, we had a follower that had something really interesting to say, why wouldn't the Colts be knocking down our doors? They have plenty of cap space and they have a gaping hole at strong safety because Malik Hooker's moving the free safety. So wouldn't that be a perfect fit? And that's a team that's kind of knocking on the door with a healthy Andrew Luck. I think, I suppose I think that Chris Ballard has played his cards. You know, he's not gone. They do, but he's, he's clearly not gone chasing, um, you know, they've clearly not gone chasing the, you know, they had a lot of free agent cap space this year and they decided against going and chasing. I think they only brought in, what, Devin Funches, didn't they? Was it Funches they brought in the receiver? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, and Justin Houston. Um, so I think that's part of it. Um, it'll just be, I mean, I don't have an answer to that really, but I think that... Um, 
I think it would have to work for Ballard. He's a very shrewd, you know, he seems a very shrewd individual um, in terms of what he thinks and what he wants to do. Just having a look at a depth chart, actually, now. Um, you know, with it, it, he fits, I think, especially if you want to play him closer to the closer to the because look the words free safety and strong safety don't necessarily mean an awful lot in certain schemes and they you know, will they, and they'll, they will mean less in our scheme absolutely absolutely but you know hooker is your perfect your perfect deep safety i mean he is you know an elite athlete who can get sideline to sideline he's, you know his mm. interception record at ohio state proves that and he's a guy that you can play single high and you can bring up rashad jones into the into the box and um and keep him there and especially with you know, the guys that they've got at a corner who they really like, you know, especially the kid that they just drafted, Rock Yassin, out of, out of Temple. Um, I think they would be a team that would be interested, absolutely. Um, I just wonder whether or not Chris Ballard sees those three factors that we went, age, finance, injury, um, and wonders whether that's really what he definitively wants. So we shall... Um, I mean, they, they drafted Kari Willis fairly early at Michigan State, third, fourth round. Um, so we shall see. We shall see. Now, let me ask you about another guy on the roster that, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's a, I would say he's a fan favorite. He's been highly productive, although he didn't have a very good year last year. But judging by what's happening with Tyreek Hill in Kansas City and the disposition of that team, which is let's go win a Super Bowl because we have the quarterback. We have Patrick Mahomes. They have the new age Dan Marino. So Kansas City is essentially – the Dolphins in 1986 or 1985, let's say. They might not have Tyreek Hill. Why wouldn't they go out and spring for a guy like Kenny Stills? Or is um, that a guy that you'd like to keep in your plans? Going I mean, through? I think we all I think we all like Kenny Stills. We respect Kenny Stills as a player. I respect Kenny Stills more as a human being. Um, I think he's an absolutely fantastic human being. Um and I think the Dolphins are talking about, and we've discussed on the podcast before that we wouldn't have been surprised if Miami had traded him. Um, and again, I, I don't think that anybody generally, I think there's a few players, but I generally don't think that anyone on the roster is untouchable. And I think Kenny potentially is one of them. They're moving him about and they're talking him up and they're showing off his versatility. And he's, he's playing out the slot and all sorts of things. He's moving around. You know, Flores today was talking about what a weapon he was, what a great kid he is, and we know all this. So, you know, absolutely, I don't think I don't think a possible trade of Kenny Stills is is off the table. Um, it's just, uh, you know, at what point do you are you seeing value for your return? Ultimately, you don't want to be giving these players away. You don't want to give Kenny Stills away for a fifth rounder, for example. I, to me, he's just he's better suited playing. I'd rather have the Kenny Stills on his cheap contract at his age. Uh, as a uh, as a leader of the team, you know, because look, in three years' time, when you know the Dolphins, hopefully, this plan that they're putting into action two three years' time is working and they're winning games. Skills is still going to be a young man. He's still going to be. Do you know what I mean? I don't think there's a. Yeah. You know, he should. He's still part of the present, but he he should still be part of the future as well. Um, so I think that you know the the risk has to meet the reward in terms of if you're going to trade him away. You're going to have to give up what he's worth, and um, you know, not necessarily what he's worth in terms of yards and touchdowns, but what he's worth generally as a, you know, he is better than his number state. I think, and you know, it will be, it, I think it'll be key for him to see if he can return to 2017, 18 form 
and not 2018 19 form which was i think disappointing for him but you know he's a guy that can you know teams will be looking at especially those teams that lack a deep threat and who are one or two pieces away from going to a super bowl anyway enough of stills uh we are going to go to a break uh and when we come back we shall talk about the battle at quarterback and we shall talk about the new coaching and we shall talk about some other bits and pieces but first here is this We'll get back to our episode here in a second. But first, we've had a lot of inquiries about how you can contribute to the Five Reasons Sports Network other than just giving us money, which we'll certainly take, or being a podcaster, and I have too many bad ones already. So here's (laughs) an idea if you want to get involved with us, and it goes beyond our new website, fivereasonsports.com. We are looking for sales representatives. Why? Because we have a lot to sell. We sell ads on our podcasts. We sell ads on social media. We also are selling sponsorships and banner ads on our website so we got a ton of inventory to sell we are credentialed with all five teams down here we're fully established and we just want somebody who can go out into the community and sell that product sell miami sports by miami for miami to the south florida community so if you want to get involved here's two ways that you can contact us one is by going to skolnick at five reasonsports.com and the other way is going to jorge j-o-r-g-e at five reasons sports.com reach out one of those two ways and we will get back in touch with you and tell you how you can help and how you can make money hey this is seth levitt and i am here with two-time miami dolphins team mvp seth 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 man they already know this is oj mcduffie why don't you tell them what we're really here for we're excited to join the crew at the five reasons sports network to bring you our new podcast the fish tank dolphins tales from the deep oj tell them what they can expect when they dive in yeah big seth we've got some of your favorite all-time dolphin players in the tank sharing some of the best stories that you've never heard so it looks like sasquatch because he's <laughs> is chasing me because you you know Izzo with his clothes on he's so hairy that guy <laughs> Why are you looking so, at me like I know Lizzo with his no, clothes off? Seth with his clothes off. <laughs> so make sure you find the fish tank on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or if you're one of those Android people, Google Play Music, or on several cross-platform apps, including Podbean and Stitcher. Thanks for diving in. Hi, this is Craig Mish from Swings and Mishes here on the Five Reasons Podcast Network. Just in case you missed any of our podcasts in the past, here's what you missed. We have been um, extremely aggressive in in trying to acquire additional uh, international dollars, not just for, you know, uh, potential free agents with two first names. It's nice that that ownership is is fully supportive and allowing us to to do everything in our power um, to be um, the best team in, in, in this region, in the gateway to America, and, and, and for Miami to become a destination spot for, for all Latin players, uh, because, you know, this is such an international city. Welcome back to Two Yards with Harry, because uh, Mr. Kaufman is, uh, what was the word you used earlier on? It was a beautiful piece of uh He was uh, gallivanting about the fruited plain. About the fruited plain, I like that. Where's that from? Well, the, the fruited plain. Fruited plain, I guess it's supposed to be the east coast of the United States in the fall, right? Love it. Although that's not where he is. I think he's going back and forth between Tampa and Atlanta. So okay. all he's seen is a bunch of highways and grass. Yeah, there's no fruited plains on that road. Well, there's some oranges. Well, maybe. 
<laughs> Maybe anyway, welcome back to two yards per carry, as it were, three yards per carry normally. Uh, I'm Simon Clancy, uh, the English one, and he's Alfredo Arteaga, the American one. Uh, easy to distinguish. Uh, Alf, as you mentioned, you have been at minicamp. Day one is in the books today. What did you see out of the new coaching staff uh, that you can talk about? Because, you know, we're, we're not trying to set you up and, oh, look, we've got secrets and we can't tell you. It's not that at all. There are some fairly strict guidelines now about what people can and can't report about practices and positions and people performing in different areas. But what was your impression of the new group of coaches that you saw out there today? Well, first of all, it's clear that Brian Flores is very, very comfortable in his new role and he's getting better at this press conference thing. And he's actually getting a little bit more entertaining and revealing he's dull, a little, isn't he? little bit he's more. Dull, isn't he? He's dull, isn't he? Extremely dull but getting much, much better. Like today yes. he revealed that he hates fishing, which is nice. Awesome. Okay. Cause who hates fishing? Because fishing, I hate, I hate fishing. Oh really? You hate fishing? Cause fishing is really, I mean, all, it, it's only an excuse to get on a boat and, and drink all day. Okay. <laughs> you know, and if you catch something great, but he absolutely despises it. He says he'd rather be sitting in a dark room watching film. But one thing I did notice today the, those practices are, well, first of all, it's been since the minicamp. The practices are sharp. Like, you can tell that they have a plan. And maybe it was just that the other coach just had more lax practices. But mm. something very, very interesting happened today. First of all, like I said, very, very sharp practices. I can't reveal all the things that they do. But let's just say that they simulate game action. Okay. And they have a lot of things going on. They have music extremely loud. They have plays being called in from the sideline. And let's just say that it's a really highly competitive nature in these practices where there wasn't before. But something very interesting happened today and something that I have not seen in this team in like, how long has the bubble been around? Since Saban, pretty much, isn't it? So we're talking, what, 2006? Six, seven, yeah. Okay, so it's been around for 12 years. Okay, today there was a monsoon, okay? This thing was inhuman, what came down from the heavens. First of all, it was hot as hell. It was about 92 degrees out there. And then all of a sudden the skies opened up. And what you had falling on our, on, well, not on our heads because we're under a roof. The media's under a roof. But what was falling on their head was ungodly, okay? They practiced all the way through all of that. When before, they were, the coaches would blow a horn and everybody run into the bubble. So it, I saw my first ever complete rainstorm practice, Miami Dolphins practice, since the Shula days. Nice. What, is that, what does that remind you of? Does that remind you of those, those snowy, uh, cold practices in New England that you see all the time mm -hmm. from Belichick? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you think, do you think that There's this no is bubble new, in New England. Do they have a bubble or do they even have a bubble? No, I don't think so. There's no, there's no bubble in New England. What do you make of that? Do you think that this is a, a new disposition? This is new from this coaching staff? Are they trying to emulate something or are they just crazy? I think it's clear that hot weather doesn't work in terms of, you know, for people get gassed and whatever, but it, it clearly hasn't provided us with an advantage. And I, I kind of feel like, I don't feel like we're a particularly tough 
team. I don't think that we're particularly, we don't have an identity of smash you in the mouth and we don't have kind of tough guy players and, you know, there's no kind of black and blue elements to our team. And I just think it's a part of a toughening up process. It's a part of a, you know what, we're just, this is the way it's going to be now. And we've, we've come for it. There's got to be an element of trust there. And I think that trust is gained in part by what they say and what they do and how they act around the players. But I also, I think that part of that trust comes from winning, ultimately, because that's what it's all about at the end of the day. Um, and players talk about when they get released, it's a business. And it is a business, but it's a business of winning. And if you can win, and you can win consistently, which a number of these coaches have done, be it, uh, the college level with Marion Hobby or at the NFL level with Flores and, you know, Chad O'Shea and those guys from New England who have done it consistently year after year after year after year. That engenders a level of respect and a level of trust from, the, from new players who are working with them. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of, if I say jump, you say how high. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's, I think, to be applauded. That's to be a, to be a good thing. I, I see that we've lost a player today. We lost a, um, a cornerback. Um, who are uh, Tyler Horn, um, mm-hmm. the undrafted free agent, uh, has decided that he wants to pursue a law enforcement career. Uh, so he was released by the team. Bryce um, Butler was also injured today. But Bryce Butler not, was injured as well. So yeah. but it's not clear how bad it was, but he did leave the, the field. Yeah, I think but, he'll be fine. Uh, another, the, another thing that's really interesting about our head coach, Brian Flores, like he's really hands-on with the defensive backs. The last time we saw this okay. was Jimmy Johnson and Nick Saban. And he's much more active than Adam Gase ever was down here. Adam Gase used to like to be on high and just let all his coaches conduct practice. And you would sometimes never see Adam Gase. Sometimes Adam Gase would just disappear for like 10, 15 minutes at a time. But Brian Flores is really hands-on. And one thing I liked also about – Belichick's very hands-on though, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He he is, especially with the defensive backs too, which seems to be a thing, a theme with with these – with these coaches. I think when you put the, that number of pl- players from a position group on the field at once, you're going to want to be hands-on all the time. Yeah. But one thing I really did like was the nature of this coaching staff, the way they go about wanting the correct things. And I don't think I'm talking out of school here, but Eric Studsville, I, I talked about him earlier on the three yards per carry Twitter account. And like this guy is going to coach somewhere, if not in college, maybe in the pros, maybe four or five years down the line. Because the guy's such a great communicator. And you just see the intricacies of the things that he wants to coach. Him and O'Shea, was, and, and O'Shea our new offensive coordinator, were working hand-in-hand, I would say, today. And I guess I can reveal this, this part. They were basically talking about – I won't say what they were talking about, but they were talking about how running backs should be receiving the ball out of the backfield on swing passes. And mm. – the deepness that they were getting into the weeds on the intricacies of how you receive the ball and where you catch it and where that leaves you in relation to the sideline and the possibility to get upfield, I thought was kind of brilliant. Okay. Mm. These are not things that you really think about as a football fan. You just think about, okay, you know, get out in space. If you have some space, you catch it here. Maybe you can make a guy miss and get extra yards. But there's, they want things done a certain way. And I just watched Kenyon Drake and Ryan Fitzpatrick, which we will get to in a second, work over and over and over again with Eric Studsville and O'Shea on how to properly run what is essentially a swing pass. 
over and over and over again until they got it right. And I thought that was brilliant. I thought it's oh. it's brilliant. And I guess the, the adults are in charge uh, around here again because at least this, this, uh, this coaching staff gets me pretty excited, if, even if, not, if the talent is not currently there. What's the one thing that this team has consistently done wrong over the past few years? Make mental mistakes. Yeah. And I think this repetition helps to eliminate some of those. I'm not saying it completely does, but I think, you know, this helps to eliminate those mental mistakes. So you know where you are and what you're doing and what your responsibilities are for every single snap, every single play. Absolutely. Which brings us to the most important position on the field, the quarterback position. Of course, they traded a second-round pick for Josh Rosen, and everybody got out there and started proclaiming Chris Greer a genius for getting what was essentially a first-round pick because that's how people like to talk about it, although we know better. Once a player played a season, he's depreciated. It's depreciated goods. He's not no longer a first-round pick. He's a quarterback that had a bad enough season that you got him for a second-round pick a year after he went 11th overall because that team is now taking a quarterback first overall to replace him. Those are just the cold, hard facts. Now comes what is essentially a quarterback battle between him and Ryan Fitzpatrick. I've watched enough of these OTAs, and now I watch one day of mandatory with the entire team assembled. This is not, and, I, and Omar Kelly tweeted about this earlier. This is not a competition, Simon. It's one guy looks like a pro quarterback. And I, and I will say this. Ryan Fitzpatrick today was absolute magic, okay? He, was, he put on a show today. He was making every throw possible. Every once in a while, I would see, like, who made that throw? And I look in the backfield, and there's old number 14. All, you know, all 280 pounds of him. <laughs> Because he still hasn't <laughs> lost, he still hasn't lost that tire iron that he put on in the office. Silly, silly unit. Yeah, I mean, I think. Look, I think it's going to take Rosen time. I, I think ultimately we know what Fitzpatrick is, you know, and that's a guy who's going to come in and cause a bit of excitement, and then we'll probably fall away or get hurt or whatever. Um, and I think it's going to take a little bit of time to learn the offense and learn and understand what he's going to do and just get the plays down. I mean, he admitted himself, Rosen, that, you know, it was taking a bit of time to, to assimilate in the offense. And, you know, you forget he's a second-year guy and Fitzpatrick's been in the league since the, the, the late 60s. So it's, you know, he is seeing things that are not new to him, whereas Rosen obviously is. And like you say, currently it's not a competition. And, you know, I think it will be disappointing if Rosen doesn't start the season but I think he's going to play at some point because I don't think Fitzpatrick plays 16 games. And ultimately, the, the tail of the tape will be on the field. If Josh Rosen is not good enough, then Miami is in perfect position to land one of those quarterbacks next year or the year after and that we've talked about you know, repeatedly. So we shall see how it plays out. But um, And also, look, it's June the 4th. You know, exactly. So a long, long way to go. A long way to go. And you know, Rosen's had what? two OTAs and, and one mini camp or three OTAs and one mini camp day. So it's, you know, it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while. Yeah. But one thing I can say is the, the chemistry, you know, this guy wasn't here last year. Ryan Fitzpatrick wasn't here last year. 
Neither was Josh Rosen. No. But mm-hmm. one guy is obviously yeah, obviously but, has uh, a leg up on the other. Yeah, one guy has a lot of more experience, I suppose, as well. You know, Fitzpatrick. This is not his first time at the rodeo, is it? I mean, he's a fourteen-year veteran. This is uh, you know, he's played in multiple systems. Rosen is a you know, it, it, it's an adjustment. You know, and he's still uh, he's still just a second-year player. You know, he's not even started his second year really. We shall see. We shall see. Although it doesn't look promising so far, but. Like you said, it's only mandatory minicamp. Now, let's close with this. I was absolutely stunned. I did not see the fight, although I saw it afterwards. I'm sitting here. uh, Actually, I was sitting outside, and I'm smoking a cigar, and I'm watching. I I forgot what I was watching, but on the bottom of the scroll. Actually, I was watching Devin Alexander actually lose. Okay, Mm -hmm. so I was watching another boxing match. And I see in the bottom of the scroll, breaking news. There's a new heavyweight champion. Now, imagine me thinking, reading that, and I'm saying, okay, that's a mistake. They made a mistake. They're talking about that Joshua must have won an extra title that Andy Ruiz must have had, or maybe somebody vacated a title somewhere. But that's obviously a mistake. And then it says, no, it says Anthony Joshua TKO'd in the seventh round. Mm. And... I still didn't believe it. I actually went online to try to confirm it, and I did confirm it, and then I saw the fight. He did not look well. There's word today that maybe he had suffered a concussion in training camp. I hate to speculate on that. And that actually says that speaks ill of his his training staff if they let him go out there with a previous concussion. But did you see the fight, and what did you make Uh, of it, Simon? I didn't see the fight and unfortunately I will be able to tell you after this podcast goes out some interesting information which I can't share to the world but the the stories of him not being right are definitely right you know there is you know and you can see look you could see when he kept going back to the corner and saying to Robert Robert McCracken his coach I don't know what's going on I don't understand what's happening to my body um you know, it was, I think, if the story comes out, it will be explosive. I don't think the story will come out because I don't think it's in the interests of a number of the people involved. I think that's probably the best way of saying it. And that's to take nothing away from Andy Ruiz, um, but there are, I think, significant mitigating factors around what happened on Saturday night, um, you know, uh, and you only have to see Joshua's father try and confront Eddie Hearn in the ring um, in the immediate aftermath of the fight. Uh, Joshua was not right. I mean, uh, not defending the defeat, but he was not right. And I was around him all week last week in New York. He was very weird at the press conference on Thursday. Uh, I was. I work a lot with the two-weight world champion, Carl Frampton, and Carl and I uh, and the cameraman did an interview with him with Joshua and he was slightly weird before and afterwards. And I've dealt with him a bit in the past and it was not the same Anthony Joshua that I recognize. Um, yeah, it was, it, it, it's intriguing. Uh, I think if he's, if he's fully fit, healthy, focused, he wins the rematch, which was announced this evening in for, for October, November time. Um, but look, it, it, the two things I think about boxing generally and about, about the heavyweight division. One is that 
boxing protects the, the, the O way too much. I mean, I don't know, I don't follow MMA very much, but the reason that MMA works so well and the reason that you get so many big fights is that people aren't scared to lose. They aren't scared to give up their, their O. Whereas in yeah. boxing, people protect their O to the point that it... Because it's, de- yeah, it's used as a marketing tool. Yeah, it has a detrimental effect on the fight game itself. And with the heavyweight division, you have, you know, you had an unbeaten Anthony Joshua, you, you know, with zone, You had um, um, Deontay Wilder with Showtime. And you have... Um, you have Tyson Fury with ESPN and yes. never, never the twain shall meet because there are way too many conflicting, you know, the zone do not want to fight Joshua to fight Tyson Fury for it to end up on ESPN because that obviously affects the zone's ability to make money. And oddly enough, I think uh, out of the three, I think Tyson Fury signed the most lucrative of the three. Yeah. <laughs> and also uh, the interesting thing is that Joshua is the, the best athlete. Yes. Wilder has the, has the most powerful hands yes. but is the worst boxer yes and fury um, is the best boxer with the fury is probably the, yeah absolutely absolutely so it's still intriguing and i just uh, you know i think that you know you'd like to think that i mean what i'd love to see is i'd love to see this fight the rematch between ruiz and um and joshua happen in mexico city joshua goes down to mexico puts it all on the table you know, uh, keeps his cards close to his chest about what happened at MSG on Saturday night, goes back, wins the world title. And then all of a sudden that opens, you know, that really does open up the field again. And then you've got, you know, you've got another British fighter, Dillian White, that nobody wants to go near. Nobody yeah. wants to fight Dillian White at all. You've got, you've got Wilder fighting Ruiz, uh, not Ruiz, you've got Ortiz. Wilder fighting um, Ortiz again, mm-hmm. um, you know, who gave him some significant troubles first time around. But at some point, they're going to run out of people to fight. You know, there's only so many patsies that you can, you know, and it's great for Ruiz, it's great for Mexico to have their first ever world heavyweight champion, but there is going to come a time fairly shortly when unless you, you know, unless Usyk is stepping up, you are looking at essentially a pool of three, maybe four with Ruiz, definitely five with Dillian White, but nobody wants to fight Dillian White. I, I suspect Ruiz doesn't even make a, a defense of his titles because I think Joshua will beat him in a, in a rematch. Uh, and so that leaves the, the heavyweight division in a very interesting position because at some point, these guys have got to fight somebody. You can't keep fighting Patsies. You can't, you know, Wilder can't fight Brazil again. Joshua can't fight Brazil again. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no more Klitschko for, you know, there has got to be at some point and hopefully Wilder Fury too, you know, that looks like it's very close to, to being confirmed. And um, actually, they have signed paperwork. Like it's actually perfect. done, and they're expecting it for early 2020. So perfect. And then you, like you maybe like February think, 2020. You'd like you'd like to think the winner will then fight the winner of uh, of Joshua Ruiz too, and absolutely the hope that it is Joshua. Yeah. And then you like have an absolute yeah. And this time next summer, you know, next summer you have a, you know, the winner of Fury Wilder takes on the winner of Joshua Ruiz, and you can put to bed these these questions. Yeah. Now, what's interesting about this is that we all had it in our head that this would be some type of epic matchup between Wilder and Joshua. What we're learning here is that that fight is not going to go past two rounds either way. <laughs> I think Joshua would have to box. He'll, he'll or, order, yeah, he, oh, we, yeah, we could see that. You could have Anthony Joshua just box Deontay Wilder needs, and just win a lopsided decision. That could happen. He, need, he needs to box like um, he needs to box like Klitschko. At yes. times, Klitschko became an incredibly boring fighter, 
but he you know that's how he won significant titles because you know that's how he did what he did because he was just able to you know to to do that and i think that's what they i think joshua had a lot of the same problems that klitschko used to have when he was getting KO'd by sanders before yeah. Na- before manny taught him to be the most boring fighter on earth i think joshua could be taught how not to lose i'm not sure he'll be taught how to be a boxer because he's a little he's a little stiff at times he can be a bit robotic but he you know he's he can be a devastating puncher um they i think they tried to teach him you know like rob mccracken is a great coach but he does fall into the same trap occasionally you look back to the klitschko fight and then you look at ruiz and, and when he knocked down klitschko in the fifth and when he knocked down ruiz in the third what he does then is he goes for the kill and he leaves himself open because he's so dying for that devastating knockout blow mm-hmm. uh, you know you look at the number of fights that Klitschko had where the scrap went four or five rounds or more after he'd knocked after he first knocked down the opponent because he never piled in he was disciplined almost diplomatic but he was robotic we keep jabbing we keep out of range you do what you do now it was dreadful shit to watch but you know he was champ for a decade for a reason and all the, Josh, and all the clutching and grabbing was a bit too much yeah and Wilder look Wilder is an awful boxer he's an awful boxer Yes, but he has, he, he's, a, he's a guy who is six seven and nimble and quick and an, and a spectacular athlete, but he has somehow makes time, himself shorter to fight. Mm, when he, he has all time power in, in his in his hands, he and has he's dynamite. Like a, dynamite he's, like, right he's like a shit Ernie Shavers. He's yeah. you know, Fury, Fury is the only one with real game, but he often sinks to his opponent's level in in nonsense fights. You know, so it will be interesting to see what they do with Joshua. You know, can you teach him how to judge his range? Teach him, you know, a real jab. Like he doesn't like any sort of jab because he doesn't really have one. You know, at times against Ruiz, he was just you know when he got knocked down twice in that third in that third round, he was just sort of trying to punch into Ruiz's bed. Get work your jab, work a proper jab, keep it going. Teach him to rabbit jump the fuck away from people's fists. Yeah, you know, show him how to be zen about what he he can't do and capitalize on what he can do and accept he has to use his size because he does have the power. He has the power. He's a brutal puncher. You look at some mm. of the knockdowns of Klitschko, you look at, you know, when he is, when he is on, he, and he is has heart too. He has heart of too. Of course he does. Because he, he, he was in a little bit of trouble against Dylan White and he was in a little bit of trouble against Joseph Parker. And you always saw him like claw out of that trouble. And I guess Klitschko, he went to the deck. You will some claw claw out of that and finish fights and Absolutely. finish Klitschko. So this was a bit odd too that they stopped the fight in the seventh round. Maybe they should have left it go on, but maybe for his own sake they did they did him a favor because he didn't yeah. look right to me. Like he had, he looked like he had a hard time breaking a sweat. No, you know, and it's strange. Yeah, it was strange. It was really strange. I'm pretty sure that more will come out of it, and there's nothing to take away from Brian Ruiz. But no, absolutely. Or even Andy Ruiz. <laughs> or Andy Ruiz. I even called him Brian Ruiz, you see? <laughs> so, you know, nothing to take away from Andy Ruiz, but this was not the Anthony Joshua we were used no. to. You no, know? Absolutely not. Well, folks, you got everything here. You got Fitzpatrick talk. You got Josh Rosen talk. You got Rashad Jones talk. You even got Liverpool FC and Anthony Joshua. Next week, we should have Chris Kaufman in tow. But till then... Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, 
or your usual podcast provider.